Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. My taxi driver was a bit of a character, to say the least. He was hired to pick us up at the Orlando airport and transport us to the resort where we would meet up with our family and go to see Mickey Mouse. The three-year-old granddaughter that we would be meeting is just old enough to let Papa and Grandmum take her to Cinderella's castle and to see Mickey and her favorite, Minnie Mouse. This is what Papa and Grandmum are supposed to do, after all. It was an exciting opportunity. We were anticipating a great time with them. But the taxi ride with the taxi driver was first. My family would be arriving in their car from Alabama, so we hired transportation only to get us to the resort from the airport where we would eventually meet up. When we arrived at the airport, the taxi driver and I had missed each other. He was not where I expected him to be, and I guess I wasn't where he expected me to be. Then he called me on my mobile phone to see where I was and to arrange to have him meet us with the car. We collected our luggage, made our way to the pickup area where I called back again, and we connected. And we began a short ride to the resort hotel. As soon as we pulled away from the curb, he announced to us that he was an Egyptian and the owner of the taxi company that we had booked. For the 20-minute ride to our destination, we were entertained and treated to a continuing exposition by this very interesting man. Apparently, if we believe all of his story, he was a chemist and successful in business in Cairo. When he came to understand the objectives and motivations of the Islamists who were then going to run his country, he knew enough, he said, and had studied their scriptures to realize that he would be doomed as a Christian if he stayed in Egypt. He confessed to being a believer and that the more he understood of Islam, the more convinced he was that there was nowhere for him in Egypt going forward. He emigrated to America. He has been happy and has built a fine family and a successful business in his adopted land. He has children who are doctors and scientists and business people in their own right. This, he confessed, would never have been permitted of Christians had he stayed in Egypt. He and his family would have been ostracized and frustrated at every corner, every turn. He doubted if his children would have even been allowed to go to university. God had blessed him immensely, he said, and so he felt he was blessed to be in America.
My taxi driver changed his tone during the course of the drive and said, while his feeling was a great sense of gratitude for what America had done for him and his family, he bemoaned the current conditions in America. The government, he said, had turned its eyes on the principles that had made America great. The greatest country in the world, he said. The country that had allowed him in and made it possible for him to become successful through his hard work. Now they give people so many benefits, he said, and demand so little of them or nothing, actually, in return. They allow illegals to steal into the country. Their eyes are blinded to the things that used to be done that made America great. They just don't care. They just want votes. I believe by now you have appreciation of the kind of ride that we had that day. Very interesting indeed. I wonder how he's doing. I'm sure that he will always be successful no matter what he faces in the coming days. It was fascinating, too, to hear of his relationship to God and how he views the world around us. I believe we will meet again one day, even if it's that's in glory.
And now with his message for today, here is our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning. This is the second message in our new series on the book of Jude. I've entitled the series, The Church in an Age of Apostasy, or from an apologetic perspective, I've given a subtitle, and that is, Fight Faithfully for the Faith. This is taken from verse 3 of Jude, which reads from the New Living Translation, Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share, but now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all times to his holy people. End of quote. The King James Version says it in this way, I urge you to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Now the word for urge in this verse is perhaps best translated appeal, as in the New American Standard Version. You see, Jude is not making a command here, although as a half-brother of Jesus Christ, he probably could have done so. But rather, it is an appeal motivated by love and concern. But it is a strong appeal nonetheless. In fact, it is probably even stronger than a command because it is based on these deep emotions. And so it goes something like this. I am lovingly but urgently appealing to you. That's the idea. I'm lovingly but urgently and strongly appealing to you. Now, what is this appeal and why does Jude feel so emotional about it? He says, I urge you, I appeal to you as strongly as I can, contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Now, the word contend is a strong, intensive term. It means to combat aggressively, or as we would probably say today, fight hard. In this context, it means to combat or fight aggressively for something. And so I've paraphrased it, fight faithfully. Now, what is this something that we are to fight faithfully for? Jude says it's the faith that was once for all entrusted or delivered or deposited to the saints. That's why we are to fight so faithfully and so hard for it. It was entrusted or, in, or deposited to us to be held faithfully, to hold it true to its original intent. Now, the we, of course, here refers to the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. It refers to you and to me, if we are believers in Jesus Christ. But now, what is the faith that is being referred to that we are to fight faithfully for and to contend for? Here, in this context, the faith refers to an objective body of truth, or we could even say a written body of truth. It refers to the Christian or the church doctrines. So Jude is then saying something like this, and I paraphrase. Your personal salvation, of which I was going to write about, and which you entered into by personal or subjective faith, that's actually safe and secure. You have nothing to fight or contend for as far as the security of your personal salvation is concerned. That is safe and secure 
because God is taking care of that. But what I am concerned about now and what you must earnestly contend for, what you must fight faithfully for, is the salvation of the faith itself. That is, you must contend to uphold the integrity and infallibility of what we believe as Christians as given in the word of God. Jude is saying we are to faithfully fight to maintain its purity and as Paul says to Timothy, to uphold the truth because we are the pillar and ground and foundation of the truth that God has entrusted to the church. We must not let it fall to the ground or be thrown to the ground by wicked men and women who love not the truth and who are seeking to destroy the word of God and turn it into the word of man. The faith, then, is the whole counsel of God. It is that body of truth, that body of teaching, that body of doctrine that makes the people of God what we are. It is the Bible, the Christians' holy scriptures. Jude says it is the truth that was once for all entrusted or deposited to the saints. In other words, it is a completed faith, a complete body of revelation, nothing to be added, nothing to be taken away. It is the completed word of God entrusted or given finally and once for all in and through the person of Christ via his apostles to the church of Jesus Christ, which is his body. This is what I call true biblical apostolic succession, and that is the handing down of the word of God through the apostles by the scriptures. This is what we as believers must earnestly fight to maintain and to keep intact and pure. We must fight faithfully for the faith. We must fight, I say, to uphold its integrity and the absolute authority and the accuracy of the word of God. But now, practically speaking, my friends, this is where we come face to face with a practical problem, a major one. You see, most Christians, I would dare to say, do not know the Bibles. They do not know the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So many Christians do not even know or realize when the faith, the word of God, is being attacked or distorted. They don't know or understand what is really teaches us. Therefore, when it is mishandled, when it is misinterpreted or attacked by false teachers or even taught by erroneous teaching, Christians are not even aware that it has taken place. They don't know that it's actually happening because they do not know what the faith really is. And friends, I want to assure you, there are a lot of people out there today speaking, they claim, in the name of God, but they are actually distorting and misinterpreting the word of God. In the words of the writer to the Hebrews, most Christians today have become dull of hearing due to lack of handling the word of God, and therefore they are unable to discern good from evil or truth from that which is untrue. And so they cannot discern or recognize false and erroneous teachings when they hear it. And also, on the other hand, for many, when they do hear and recognize it, 
They have so little regard for the word of God in the first place that they have no concern to defend it, or as Jude says, to contend for its integrity and authenticity. Such have no regard or concern for fighting faithfully for the faith that was once for all deposited to the saints. Today, I say again, we are in a sad state of affairs when it comes to finding qualified contenders of the faith, what we would call today apologists. To be sure, we have a lot of folk who delight in hearing elementary principles of the gospel, things they learned when they first came to Christ. The problem is, though, that's all they want to continue to hear, what they already know. That's exactly what the writer of Hebrews was facing when he talked to the Jewish believers to whom he was writing. Although they were at a stage in the Christian life that they needed the meat of the word and the teaching of the word, they were still demanding milk, food for babies, and needed to be fed themselves. Here is what the writer to the Hebrew says. Concerning Melchizedek as a high priest, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. Why? Because you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. That's Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14. Notice what the text says. A mature, growing Christian is a person who has been trained to discern good from evil or truth from error because of an ongoing practical application of biblical truth. These are the ones who are equipped to contend and to fight faithfully for the faith. And so I say to you, if you are a professing Christian, I implore you, please read and study your Bible. Make it a point to sit under teachers who have a high regard and respect for the word of God, and they are committed to expounding it faithfully. Learn a method for studying the Bible yourself, and then apply it consistently as a way of life. Ezra and the Levites, after they found the law, that is the first five books of the Old Testament, which were lost for many years, they are examples of those who exposited or explained the word of God the way it should be done by preachers today. Please listen as I read then from Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning at verse 6. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands. They were so excited to hear the word of God. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. That shows respect and regard for the word of God. The Levites then instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. Do you notice that? They instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. No moving, no leaving, no going about. They remained in their places. Notice carefully now verse 8. They, that's Ezra and the Levites, 
read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people to understand each passage. My friends, that is what is called expositional preaching, and that is what we need today. The purpose of expositional preaching is to focus on the biblical text itself, the message, not the messenger, or even the people. It's to help people understand the word of God, not make a spectacle of oneself by becoming a performer rather than a proclaimer of the word. Listen to this admonition and warning that the Apostle Paul gives in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. He says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Verse 3, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desire and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching is want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths or stories. End of quote. And so, please, beloved, like Jude, I urge you, take heed to this urgent exhortation. We are living in the days predicted by the apostle right now. And so, I implore you, do not be an itching ear Christian, but rather be one who desires to hear and understand the word of God, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every
happen in a moment. Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every morning for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be Happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again.